0: So this is the image I I have when I think of you ladies and I think of um, our study in Colossians. This is baklava, right? That Greek, Turkish, tasty dessert with layer after layer of phyllo dough and nuts and honey. So good. And the reason why I think about us or in our study is because we have layered in our time with Just rich teaching with fellowship, with homework, week after week, layer after layer. And I pray that Colossians has just been layered into your soul as it has for me. Lord, I pray this morning, thank you for the rain. It sounds so beautiful. Lord, I pray just as the rain refreshes the earth, Lord, refresh our time. Lord, I pray you'd open our hearts and that you'd make inroads today by your faithful spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so last time I spoke, um, I spoke on the supremacy of Christ over all things from Colossians chapter 1. But today, we're actually going to take a smaller view, a micro view on relationships. But first, we're going to lay some groundwork. And In order for me to do that, I'm going to kind of jump around on our passage. So bear with me if I do that. We will start in order. We're going to start in chapter 3, verse 12. And Oh, that's so fun. Okay, sorry. Moment. Um, I'm reading out of the ESV version. I just like that for studying for some reason. Um, So that's what I'm going to read to you. So starting in verse 12. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. (coughs) And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. That's our text today. And to be honest, ladies, I really just have a heart to kind of cut to the chase, if you'll allow me. But... You know, to do that, and before we could ever really walk in authentic, spirit-led compassion and kindness, humility, forgiveness, we really must address first things first. In fact, I believe we need to start in verse 15. Let me reread it for you. And it says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let that sink in for a moment. How am I practically, as a Christian woman, going to live that out? How does peace rule my heart and my relationships? That is our question today. That's what we're going to look at. And in my opinion, it's the foundation to everything else in this passage. In brief, the word peace means peace of mind, tranquility. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace in Isaiah 9-6. You know what? Pause. Time out. Does everybody have a study guide? I didn't even ask. Do you, if you don't have a study guide, raise your hand. We, have, we need one. I'm sorry. I should start that from the beginning. My mistake. Okay. And I'm, I am sorry. I kind of went off with the study guide today. I kind of went for it. Keep your hands raised if you need it. It's a little longer than normal. So sorry, not sorry. (laughs) And on the back is a scripture reference. I'm not going to recite every scripture address, but know that you already have it. It's on the back. You're good to go. If you need to look it up later, it's there. Okay. So sorry about that. Um, here we go. Okay. Time in. So the first point on your study guide is this. It says real peace begins with Jesus. Real peace begins with Jesus, our Prince of peace. So how does that happen? We actually touched briefly on this. The last time I, I spoke Colossians one says, Jesus made peace through his blood shed on the cross. Christ's sacrifice forever covers the sins of those who would call upon him as Lord and Savior. As believers, according to first, Colossians one twenty two, he has reconciled us by Christ's physical body through death to present us holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. I also like how Ephesians says it. In chapter 2.13, it says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near... Through the blood of Jesus, for the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. So we see that peace begins with the acceptance of Jesus as savior, but it continues on with lordship, which brings us right back to our text. Again, Colossians 3.15 says that the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. This word rule is used only once here in the New Testament. And it means to arbitrate, decide every debate, to govern, to prevail, to be an umpire, to direct, control, and determine. This is the point I want you gals to get from this so far. Peace is tied to authority. That's point number two on your study guide. Peace is tied to authority. Authority. We have to settle the issue of authority and lordship. Do I bow down to him as king? Not just as savior, but as lord, lord of my life. The degree to which I bow down is the degree to which I have peace. Relational peace here. This is not positional peace. He's already paved the way for that through his death. Or said a different way, the increase of peace in my life accompanies the increase of Christ's government of my life. And that's a quote I stole from, borrowed from Beth Moore. I did a study of hers a long time ago, and it just, it's just awesome. So if peace with God begins at salvation, then peace with others plays out in direct correlation to his rule and lordship of my life. As 1 Thessalonians five twenty three states, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through all godly fruit bearing relationships begin with abiding in christ first letting him rule in us through and through so if i'm going to have true personal peace it's going to be because i'm bowing down to the authority of christ in my life first and then by extension to all other relationships and situations the bible says blessed are the peacemakers right For they will be called the sons of God, Matthew 5, 9. That's actually point number three on your study guide. Blessed are the peacemakers. Peacemakers is your fill in the blank. The word peacemaker means one who loves peace. So we see she loves peace. She seeks authentic peace. She puts peace into action by the way she loves others. Let's examine how a godly peacemaker... (coughs) Loves relationally. On your study guide, you'll see points A through, I think, it's G. And I'll just say A, and we'll do a fill-in. So this first one says, A, a peacemaker allows Christ to rule her heart. That's what we've been talking about, right? Remember, this is the first, she is first foremost under God's authority. This is the basis, the foundation, which from everything else, i.e., true peace, is going to spring from. B, a peacemaker loves wisely, a peacemaker loves wisely. And the proof text I have for that is going to be Philippians 1, 9 through 10. I'll read it for you, but I love the way it says it in the NIV translation. And it says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. So in what does her love abound more and more in? In knowledge and depth of insight. The word knowledge here means precise, correct knowledge. It's not random, out of place. No, it's precise and correct knowledge. Depth of insight here means perception, not only in the senses, but in the intellect. Okay. So have you all ever heard that saying, love is blind? Have you heard that? That's kind of familiar, right? Okay. So this, our study, peacemaking, getting a little frisky, sorry my apologies. It's cold. So our study is the opposite of that. We're not called to turn the eye and love blindly, ladies, and we're not. Girl, we need to love with our eyes wide open, okay? Loving with knowledge and loving with depth of insight, because we need to have smart love, not dumb love, not blind love, smart love. Why? This brings us to our next point, Point C says, a peacemaker loves with discernment. Gosh, that's beautiful. It's like an orchestra. A peacemaker loves with discernment. She loves with knowledge. Why? So that she can discern what is best. How many times do we find ourselves lacking wisdom on how to handle a situation or relationship? All the time. All the time. Every week. How can we discern what's best then? Well, first, we need to start with the Word. Verse 16 of our text today says, Let the Word of God dwell richly. What a beautiful passage. What a beautiful word. God's so good to give that to us. So, when I find myself stuck on what to do with so and so, I intentionally crack open the Word of God with an expectant heart. Typically, I will start with the day's date. In, in Proverbs, right? So if today is the 12th, I think, then I'll open to Proverbs 12 because there's 31 chapters in Proverbs. And I'll also do that with Psalms, like Psalms 12 or wherever I am, or just the word of God in general. And I'll do that for a few days to see if he'll speak a theme. So, but when I, when I crack open the word of God, God will oftentimes reveal direction, a person's motivation, or even my own, right? Why? Because the word is it's sharp and it's penetrating. What does it penetrate? It penetrates, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So I have a couple examples that I've taken just from life where I've done that and the Lord has spoken to me just to give you some, some um, examples. So for instance, love covers all wrongs, Proverbs ten twelve. Or it's to one's glory to overlook an offense. And with scriptures like that, I feel like the Lord will say to me, myrrh forgive and keep your mouth shut, right? Yes. Or how about this one? Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Proverbs one eight. Mer, I want you to mediate between two parties. How about this one? This is not a fun one. I dread this one. A rebuke impresses a man of discernment. Proverbs 17.10. Myrrh, I want you to address this. And the last one's a goodie. Check this one out. An unfriendly man pursues selfish ends. He defies all sound judgment. A fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinions. Roberts 18, one through two. Mer, she is acting foolishly and she's not going to hear you. Don't waste your breath. Don't cast your pearls. So, when we dwell richly in the word, we bring ourselves under his authority and his direction. We gain the security of being in his will to be peacemakers who love wisely and with discernment. The Bible says that a discerning man, he keeps wisdom in view. Proverbs 17:24. So, D, a peacemaker is spirit-led. <coughs> spirit-led. So when we don't know what to do, we, de- we dwell richly. We get in the word first, first things first. But what happens when we get conflicting verses? You know, answer a fool, don't answer a fool. Has that ever happened to you? When you don't know whether you should turn to the left or to the right, should you keep quiet? Should you speak? Because the Bible mentions both, right, ladies? It really does. So how do we know which direction to go? Answer. Do you know what this is? Can you all see this? This is your divine highlighter, girlfriend. Divine highlighter. If you did discern the voice of God, you learned that the divine highlighter is the Holy Spirit and he illuminates scripture and he lifts it off the page. Girl, you get this puppy out and you use it. You trust the Holy Spirit. When scripture gives answers on both sides of the aisle, ask yourself these questions. This is important. What is God speaking to me today? What am I hearing in the word, the Bible study, K-wave, a song? Today, rely on the spirit to lead you today. Not yesterday, girlfriend. Not last year's solution. Today, fresh. Romans eight fourteen says, those who are led by the spirit are the sons. Those who are led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. And if he remains quiet, seek him out all the more. Ask if you should wait or if you should walk in faith. Finally, be sensitive to the fluidity of the Spirit. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Proverbs 16, because that's a goodie. I love this verse, it's one of my favorites. I pray it often, weekly, if not daily, for my husband. And as it relates to relationships, ask the Spirit. What is the pleasing way in this particular situation, this particular drama? But be aware, that pleasing way, it may change. It might vary from time to time, even with the exact same problem. And I'm going to tell you guys, or'll give you some scripture out of First Chronicles, chapter 14. I'll read it for you. It's going to illustrate this point perfectly. It's a prime example. So chapter 14, verse nine. It says, now the Philistines had come. Okay, I'll just back up one second. David had just kind of become king at this point. So here is the response from the Philistines to that. The Philistines had come and raided the valley of Rephaim. This is our conflict. So David inquired of God, shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? David seeks direction. The Lord answered him, go, I will hand them over to you. So David gains the victory over the Philistines. But guess what? Problem's not done. A couple verses later, it says this. Once more, the Philistines raided the valley. So David inquired of God again, again. And God answered him, do not go straight up, but circle around them and attack them in front of the balsam trees. So here we have the same problem. But David is seeking a fresh word, a fresh solution. And because David was in constant communication with the Lord, he was able to hear God give him two different commands about the same concern. Do you see that? So be flexible. Lean on the word to direct you so that you're not working off assumptions, but rather the fresh illumination of the spirit or that situation, that relationship at that given time. E, a peacemaker executes his will with his heart. A peacemaker executes his will, that's your first will, and your second is with his heart. So when you've let the Lord rule your heart, when you've dwelled in the word to gain that understanding, that knowledge, when you've leaned on the spirit for fresh direction Then you walk out his will with his heart. Notice our text in verses 12 through 14 again. It says, therefore, put on then. Okay, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these put on love which binds which means really to like let it sink in you sink it into the coat you sink it into that jacket which binds everything together in perfect harmony so we hear compassion we hear kindness we hear humility meekness patience don't you think that sounds an awful lot like the fruit of the spirit don't you think and that's exactly how we need to approach one another full of the spirit right with that compassion that kindness that humility that's the way we need to approach them now that's a lot easier to say than do, amen? Keeping it real, right? That's difficult. Oh yeah, it's difficult. But that's why we've got to ask the Lord to rule our hearts. Because really, ladies, at the core of all, at the core of it all, the heart of the matter, it's not really about them anyway. It's not really about your drama. No. You know what it's about? Him. It's about him and what he's wanting to do. Verse 17 says, here's your proof that the word speak and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the father through him. He's the motivation, right? It's not our feelings. Our feelings are going to take us down the dump, right? He's the motivation. It's not us. It's our love for Him that expresses itself in obedience to His will. That's why, even when things are so crazy, we can still have internal peace. The peace that surpasses all understanding, right? That's a wild concept. Why? Because we're submitted and we're surrendered to Him. Hear me on this. Peace doesn't come with an answer, it comes with authority. Peace isn't tied to circumstances. I know we wish it were, but it's not tied to circumstances either. Friend, it's tied to lordship. It's tied to lordship. You will keep in perfect peace. What kind of peace? Perfect, complete, mature. Did I say something else? No, perfect peace. Not immature, not partial peace. Perfect peace. For him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Because he trusts in you, because she trusts in him. Isaiah twenty six, twenty-six. F A peacemaker allows God to carry the burden on his shoulders. I'll read that one again, it's kind of a lot. A peacemaker allows God to carry the burden on his shoulders. So in my family, I am the middle child. There's I have two sisters, one above, one below. Um but in my family and my dynamics, um, I've often been called or presumed upon to be a peacemaker. I often get the call, I get the plate. I don't know why, but I just do. And I'm expected to be able to sort through a variety of emotions, expectations, and provide instant wisdom on every side. But to my shame girlfriend, I don't always do it well. Full disclosure here, I don't. There's times. Man, there are times. You just want to... Well, I'll leave that there. You know what I mean. As you know, peacemaking takes a toll, right? It's difficult to balance everyone's needs. They're differing perspectives, including our own. Conflict can hurt. People aren't always kind, mature, or rational, right? They're not, including us. When our anger gets going, are we really rational? I'm not. Plus, there's the emotional stress of that situation. Carrying it is heavy. It can be. So are you stuck today in the middle of your own war or somebody else's? Do you feel like curling up? Do you feel like giving up? Have you lost your marbles lately? Let's keep it real. Keep it real. Maybe not yesterday, but what about last week? Okay. What about tomorrow? God understands this better than anyone. Do you remember how we discussed one of the names of Jesus as the Prince of Peace from Isaiah 9-6? Well, I want to highlight something from that verse. The verse says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government, ladies, will be where? On his shoulders. On his shoulders. Two, man, I really hope I shaved my armpits today. I will say that. Side note. Hope I did. Two shoulders. Two. Come back. Come back. God has two broad shoulders for which you can rest each person's side of the story, especially when you don't know whom to believe. Right? He's got two shoulders for you. In Exodus 28, God instructs Moses on what he wants Aaron the high priest to wear. Now trust me on here, I'm going somewhere with this. Um Sound ministry, if you can give me the priest guy, <coughs> let's take real quick a look at his outfit. He's got his robe on, he's got his tunic. This thing right here is called an ephod, it's kind of shorter list, um, But on top, do you see those little things on the top, those little black things on his shoulders? And then sound ministry, I'm going to have you do a close-up on what, what's on there. So here's an example. So you can stare at this, That's what that's what they carry on each one of their shoulders. And I'm going to read the scripture as you can meditate on that. Verse 9. So you shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. Six of their names on one stone and the names of the remaining six on the other stone. In order of their birth. And you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod. As stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. So I ask you, whose name shall you set upon his shoulders? What situation must you bear before the Lord? You can take that stone, you can take that heartache, that relationship here, and you can stick it right on top of him, his shoulders. Let him shoulder it, literally. Let him carry the burden. Let him bear the brunt. Let him daily bear your burdens, as Psalm says. Because he wants to be your refuge. He wants to be your strong tower. He wants to be your rock. That's his art for you. He loves you. He's there for you. He's there for me. Praise the Lord. G, our last little guy. A peacemaker moves first. A peacemaker moves first. This one's a toughie, (laughs) but we'll just bring it anyways, Lord. Remember, a peacemaker is one that loves peace. Yes. And I love how this guy, Pastor Alistair Begg puts it. He says, the love of God is an initiative taking love. In fact, genuine love always takes the initiative. Isn't that tough? God gave me this when I was going to the exam exact situation and I reached out to this gal and it was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Girl, you got to take the initiative sometimes. And in my limited observations and experiences, I've witnessed the one who loves peace is usually the one that moves first. After conflict, be it with our spouse, our kids, friend, a co-worker, a peacemaker will be the first one to make the call. Send the text, arrange to meet, Extend a warm greeting, give a hug, or perhaps as wives, walk back in the room, right? The more mature one usually moves first to extend that olive branch of grace and forgiveness. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you and me, live at peace with everyone. Romans 12, 18 search for peace and work to maintain it. Psalm 34, 14. There are times when loving wisely or maturely means backing off. Okay. Moving first doesn't always mean moving right away. We need time to process. We need time to pray through our emotions. There are some situations where we really need the Lord to illuminate our path one step at a time. And I totally wish I had more time to speak to you ladies on how prayer and how timing work together to enhance peacemaking. But for now, and in a general sense, love moves first. Love moves forward. This is difficult to do. No bones about that. I'm not trying to pretend like this is an easy concept. It's not. It challenges me all the time especially when we're hurt, right? When we're angry, when we feel betrayed, or we've been largely insulted by another. Because even if we do take the initiative at some point, we don't always guarantee ourselves a successful external outcome, do we? Just because we extend grace doesn't mean we receive grace, let alone justice. And just because we extend forgiveness doesn't mean reconciliation or restoration has occurred on either side. Sound ministry, can you put that last thing up? And we'll read this right here. I just liked the image of this. That broken heart. Forgiveness doesn't excuse someone's behavior, forgiveness present, prevents their behavior from destroying your heart. So do your part to be a peacemaker and trust the Lord with the rest. You're not responsible for their response, you are responsible to follow the Lord. And to bring yourself under, for your protection, his authority. Your chief aim in conflict is to please the Lord. Right? That's the chief aim. It's to please the Lord. In fact, our text bears witness to that in verse 23. It says, whatever you do, work heartily as who? For the Lord. And for not? Not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward You are serving who? The Lord Christ. He's your aim. For the wrongdoer will be paid back. Praise the Lord. For the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. As you serve the Lord first in heart. He will allow your life. (coughs) And your witness. To do the talking. But a noble man. Makes noble plans. And by noble deeds he stands. Isaiah 32 8. So. To recap our study so far, we see that a peacemaker, A, allows Christ to rule her heart. B, loves wisely with knowledge and depth of insight. C, with discernment. D, she's spirit-led. She executes his will with his heart. And she allows God to carry that burden on his shoulders. And finally, she moves first, as appropriate. We have spent the majority of our time talking about peacemaking. However... I would just feel a little bit remiss if I walked out here and we didn't discuss the opposite of peacemaking. And last week, Catherine spoke beautifully about just the flesh. You know, it was such an encouraging message. But she, she spoke about that rotten fruit. The sinful nature will naturally oppose peace. That's why sometimes there can be nothing wrong. But we still just don't have peace, right? Have you ever felt like that? Like there's this automatic resistance built in sometimes, which is why we have to daily settle the issue of authority or however it comes up, whenever it comes up, because the flesh doesn't take a day off, ladies. No, it doesn't. It will always vie for a chance to rear its ugly head. In fact, we could say that the opposite of peace is discord. Even subtle discord can be devastating to us and our close relationships. And this is why I want to challenge us here especially in line of the relationships that's mentioned at the end of our text where it talks about husbands and wives and love and submission, children and parenting and employers and employees. Like you have all those relationships. Let me say this. And this is another line that I borrowed from Beth. It was just a great study on peace like forever ago, but I had to put it in. And it says this. This is your last point on your study guide. It says, There is a vast difference between a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. There is a vast difference between a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. That's point number four. Okay. And as we've studied, the Bible says, blessed are who? The peacemakers. So what then is a peacekeeper? The Bible helps us out with that a little bit. I'll read to you from Jeremiah chapter eight, verse 22. And it says, why then... Is there no healing for the wound of my people? Good question. If you back up a few verses, you'll see why. Because they say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Why isn't there peace? Because they dress the wound. In this case, in that passage, that wound is a reference to sin. Because they dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. So a peacekeeper is one who keeps a false peace. She keeps a false peace. She'll keep the peace at any cost. She pretends the wound or the problem is not serious. It's a fake peace predicated upon a false reality. She overlooks the seriousness of sin because she's afraid to make waves. Whatever I can do to avoid conflict or stay under the radar... If I confront, maybe this person, this husband of mine, this friend of mine, this crazy child of mine won't love or accept me anymore because there's a risk, be honest, there's a risk of rejection there, right? One who practices false peacekeeping is often motivated by some type of fear, insecurity or distrust. Let me just say, in honesty, it takes one to know one. It takes one to know one. I've been there. I hate conflict. I hate confrontation even more. I agonize over the thing and agonize over it. I can do it, but ladies, I would just bury my head in the sand. I would, I would, I would just turn around and walk away. Not happening today. Okay, keeping it real. But friend. Having a phony relationship is no way to live. Ain't no way to live, sister. Ain't no way to live. There's no authentic healing here because the wound is not being treated properly. You can't sweep it under the rug forever and have it fester and pretend like it's not going to do anything to you. You can't stuff it down endlessly. It's just going to keep popping up its ugly head. It will. It does. We have to stop pretending and we have to stop saying, peace, peace. Hey, everything's okay. When there is no peace. When there really is no peace. And if you're here at all in this spot, God wants to sanctify you through and through. Because he loves you. And because he's concerned about every aspect of your being, your well-being, everyone. He values you. He accepts you. And he wants you to be free from the bondage of man's opinion and approval. Fear keeps us caught in a snare of dr- a snare of drama and chaos. It's that cycle of turmoil. Ask him to break down the walls of fear and hostility. If you allow him to lead, you can rest in the blessing of obedience and trusting him To bear every single relational consequence. You follow him. He'll take care of you. Doesn't mean it's easy. But he'll honor you. And he'll honor your submission to him. I've seen it. I know it. So say goodbye to false peace. And hello to walking under the authority of his light and his truth. It is far better friend to have real peace with him than false peace with man. And I want you ladies to rest in this promise because I know this is a word for somebody here. There is a future for a man of peace. Maybe it doesn't feel like it right now, but there is. There is a future. He's got you. And as we close, I want to leave you with one last thought on peace. In Luke 19, Jesus is approaching the city of Jerusalem. And he's about to make his triumphal entry. But as he draws closer, he begins to weep. And that word is to sob, to wail aloud. It's not quiet. It's the ugly cry. It's fully exposed. I mean, he's, he's sobbing here. Why? Notice his words. How I wish today that you of all people, speaking about the city there, the people in there, that you of all people would understand the way of peace. But now it's too late. And peace is hidden from your eyes. He goes on to prophesy the destruction of the temple. And he says, because you did not recognize it when God visited you. Ladies, let's not miss him. This is our heart question today. Do we really want to recognize him as the way of peace personally? Not positionally, relationally. Do we really want to recognize him? Are you willing to bow to his authority in your relationships? The religious leaders of Jerusalem, they weren't willing. And so they missed him. And they missed his peace. Let's not miss what he wants to do in and through us. It's not too late. Don't underestimate him. We can still understand the way of peace because he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And because he's not hidden from our eyes. Is he ladies? He's right here. He's ready. And he says to you. Let me be your peace. Let me be your peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace. Do you really want it? I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Let's pray. Lord, I know that this can be a tough message for some. I know that authority is a difficult issue. And so, Lord, I ask, God, that you would make inroads. And I pray specifically, Lord, if there is any hostility, Lord, I pray that they would do business with you. Every second they need You, Lord. And Lord, I pray that your word would just furrow into their hearts and that the enemy would not come to steal that seed, but God, you would multiply that as you, as that seed just bears fruit below or bears root below, Lord, would you cause it to spring up and bear fruit above for your glory and for their benefit, Lord Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.